Welcome to the comic trope. We're in a room. We're in a small room surrounded by ants. They're carrying our dead bodies. It's kind of weird, but as most people know, ants can carry up to 10,000 times of their body weight, so it's really not that surprising. Today, we have Blake, Amos, Sequoia, and Dave. Hashtag Smiling Dave. And they will be talking about certain things, like X-Men. <laughs> and where Blake comes up with these intros. We'll also be talking a little bit about upcoming movies, such as Doctor Strange, Logan, or how I stopped worrying and learned to love actual projections. (laughs) I'm there. I'm on board. Amos and I are going to talk slash review about one old book, which is Craven's Last Hunt, and one newer book, which is Miss Marvel. What else, are we, what else are we doing? I can't remember. Oh, we'll have a few games, such as the hottest game in podcast history, which is Powers. What are they all about? Which is pretty good one. Is that like magnets? How do they work? Is that along the same lines? <laughs> Something like it's where that. where we bring in a juggalo who explains his powers to Can us. Can we please get a segment on the show called Ask a Juggalo? There's got to be at least a couple in Do you know any Juggalos? I guarantee my high school had at least a few. Yeah, Fable's got a few Juggalos. I mean, if Juggalos about watching and listening to some of the best rap music of all time, then yeah, I guess you could call me a fucking Juggalo. <laughs> Blake turns around I didn't and know you covered were... in the face paint. I didn't know you attended the Dark Carnival. I didn't know you owned stock in Fago. <laughs> I mean, They're I They're near the border, I guess. <laughs> And, yeah, we're going to have a decent to good show to you guys today. And so to the two people listening to our podcast, you're in fucking luck, man. The next haircut for Superman will be blank. The Danzig Circa Misfits. The Devil's Lock. Is that the, like, front thing that kind of goes down? Yeah, the Devil's Lock. Jerry Only's. Okay, I I can see that. I mean, I don't believe it. Tell you Kryptonite, not to walk my way. I'm yeah. And if you want to find Lex tonight, I got something to say. <laughs> I am Superman. I'm thinking the, like, the rat tail, but Close it's like the braided, God. like, tight woven, uh, and we'll have like a... About Jedi Padawans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll have like a... It will basically have like an Indian, um, like, arrowhead at the bottom. That's disgusting. That's what I think. So has Superman been changing haircuts a lot? Is that why we're asking He's, he's got something a lot more... Con- well, I'm sorry. New 52 Superman yeah. had a lot more... He got some more of a contemporary haircut. Yeah, he looked like such a bro. I mean, he was yeah. like... He looked like a total... You could like, walk around the... Sh- yeah, yeah. You could see a gym bro with the shaved head and just a Superman shirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he just looked like one of those dudes who you see with those shirts on. I mean, I mean you ain't never read a Superman comic of Daniel Damn Life. I mean, he could, he could certainly have... <laughs> like most people who read comics. I mean, like, you know, Superman embodies everything that I stand for. You know, like strength and power at America. I would like to see Superman bring back the George Clooney circa 1996 Caesar cut. Um, ER Clooney? ER from Dustal Dawn Clooney. Yeah. yeah <laughs> everything combed forward. Batman and Robin? I don't think he was rocking 
the, the, the Caesar in that. Yeah, I can't remember when he gave the Caesar up. It would, I guess it would have probably been... Well, Batman Run was, what, 98? Something like Seven? that. Seven? Uh, 97. Yeah, so he, he would have given it up before then. Because he gave it up before he left ER. Yeah. He was rocking in ER. Let, I mean, it, he was it, still fighting Peter Bench. It, it came to promise, like I said, around the time he was in From Dust Till Dawn. If he had, like, the kid and play kind of thing going on, would that be uncomfortable? It'd be sweet. Uh, only if, like, you know, he has big chains around his neck. and It would be very difficult be... to make it happen, I, I imagine. He could do all the dances way better than Ken Play with all the superpowers. I mean, <laughs> his the, reflexes are pretty The running man match. would be, you know, impressive. Or he could look like Anthony Kiedis in uh, Point Break. He had something weird going on. I can't remember what it was. It was like a Buddhist monk top knot deal. It was very silly looking. I think that he should just shave his head bald, only because it would probably make Confuse Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor really angry at him. You know, Lex Luthor, you're a fucking scientist and you still can't grow hair. <laughs> What's you the suck. story of? Uh, there's some reason he's like. I feel like the original telling of that character was like he stressed himself out so much. No, and in, in the original <laughs> comics, what it was, he was conducting some kind of. Science experiment or whatever. And this is when they were kids. No, no, no. yeah, it's something in his basement, and the, it started to become a weird chemical fire. And I think Superman was trying to blow out the fire, but somehow pushed the cloud of gases. Blew it all over Lex. Yeah, blew it all over Lex's head or so whatever. So there's a reason. And it. yeah, and his hair. So yeah, Superman's the reason why. Superboy, I should say, uh, is the reason why. You know, I feel like is bald. If, if there's an intense like chemical fire and there's a, a cloud of mysterious gas, if all it does is make your hair fall out, you came out real good. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it could have made him the dickhead that he is. <laughs> Not only did he lose hair, it also totally made him a dickhead. Made him a total psychopath. Yeah. So it's the psychopath. Because him and Superboy were cool up until that point. Yeah, well then yeah. I think that I just totally yeah you solved Superman out. being such a huge Superman fan it doesn't surprise me. Let's move on to the newest hottest segment in podcasting. Was hot. it a snake like a no no it was like like we're, like we're, 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 we're on touching a hot like, like thing, we're sizzling a hot plate yeah. got it like so sorry no one can see that but you know it's got it got it they know what making pancakes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Griddle cakes. Is that what your people call them? Powerlessthing.wiki.com is a great website. You should check it out. It basically is a list of every superpower ever, and there's a random button page. So I'm going to hit this random button page, and one of you guys are either going to tell me what character has this power, or make up your own. So I'm going to start. <laughs> No whammies? Constellation Physiology. What? That's, uh, what's her name? User with this ability can transform into any constellation, gaining the powers associated with those constellations. <laughs> what is that, what? what powers are associated with <laughs> well, I s- hydrogen gas? No, you I could use no, navigators, no. I guess. <laughs> no, we're, guys, we're talking about, like, <laughs> the ability to confuse Greeks. <laughs> Pirates, sailors, <laughs> ancient mariners. Pretty much anyone pre 1900s. I mean, if you had that power, you could have stopped the Reaper invasion in Mass Effect 3 because it would have just confused it. You could just have obscured the local cluster, and there's no way they could have ever found us. That's probably true. <laughs> no, like you turn into Orion, right. and, 
Orion. <laughs> <laughs> turned into Orion. Orion. He's, you know, the guy who invented Oreos. I thought that that's who Oreos were named after. It's <laughs> just a bunch of stars that go yeah. on the Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the Milky Way, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so if you're Orion, you, be, you become a, you have hunting intuition. Okay. Oh, wait, so the constellation you turn oh, into, oh, you gain the power. We've been thinking so, so literal on this. So yeah. it's, it's like a group of oh, here. Okay. I'll show you a picture. Does that make sense now? So if it's the Big Dipper, you can like fill yourself with liquid. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is an easy Probably one, not. and also it's the, almost the same as the last one. No, it is not. Okay. This is an easy one, and <laughs> a character who a movie is coming out about has this power. Professor Weird. Astral. Projection. Oh, actual projection. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an ability to take something from a different plane and, and project it on our own. Or vice versa. Or what, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what? I mean, Dr. Strange, Strange yeah, most honestly. Uh, Professor X has yes. ascended to the astral plane before, if I'm not mistaken. Dormammu? Dormammu, yes, yes. Here's a power for you guys. Water wave emission. Emission. Where you just fucking throw water at people. How great is that? User can release waves of water. Like Kimmy yeah. from Captain Planet. Balls and bursts of water. Maybe. Uh, I can't remember which Wonder Twin it is, but... Jaina. They turn in... No, it's a dude. He turns into... He turns into fluids. Oh, that's right. He turns into fluids. That's right. But so this is not turning into a fluid, right? This is like projecting... Yeah, like you have a force blast... Uh, with water. Like, the wa- like water benders from the Avatar series. Or which say, which Captain Planet is it? The Swedish girl or the Asian girl that can manipulate water? Yeah. White dude head fire. Right. Black dude head earth. Right. Uh, South American kid head heart. Now don't know if that was a girl or a boy. I think, very... was, I think it was a boy. I think it was. I mean. I'm not hundred percent. Mate or whatever. Yeah. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that Pat McCrory would follow that person to a bathroom. That's, all I'm saying. <laughs> That's true. Um, That's true. I think the Russian girl had wind. She was Russian. Russian. I uh-huh. bet she did have wind. Linka, wasn't that her name? Linka. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I think I think the so Asian the, girl had water. Yeah, yeah, because I can remember the way she said water, and it sounded a little silly. Yeah. That's actually a great segue into the segment where we talk about. Movie news. Segway, segways. It's not just a thing that you write, it's also a word that no one spells right. S E G W A I Y. So you. W A I Y. Say. Let's talk about comic book movie news. Hey, you guys, in like uh, less than a week, we're going to be able to see. Dr. Strange. Just a little over a week. Eight days, because the Thursday night, I guess, is the, the, the first showing. So you're, you're saying that I have to edit this podcast tonight. That's what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> From the date of this recording, Dr. Strange will be on in exactly eight days. If you don't do it, President-elect, insert here, <laughs> is going to be very upset with you. <laughs> I'm really excited about this movie. Yeah, me too. Uh, only because it's Astral plane shit. Yeah, man. I don't know. I mean... Let's go smoke some DMT and just, you know, go there. I think it's kind of weird that the the master who teaches him is like... Tilda Swinton. 
Yeah. It's pretty rad. Who's her? What's her name again? The Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Tilda Swinton? Yeah. <laughs> what's Tilda Swinton's name she's, again? She's Celtic in this, though, I think. Instead of... Well, she's... Asian. Well, I think the thing they she's were... genderless. That's I think that's the big thing they're going for. Genderless, raceless, which is white person, I mean. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. A white person. <laughs> Clearly of the Caucasian well, persuasion. Well, no, I, th- I think the thing is, the, the reason why, I, you know, there's a lot more that, that went on with the casting in this movie than I think, you know, Marvel is letting on or people are aware of. But, I mean, a big part of it was, you know, I, I think with this character, it's sort of the same mentality that went into why we didn't get the real version of the Mandarin in the Iron Man movies because, you know, the thing is Marvel's having to be very conscious of the reason why they've made up they've made a billion dollars, you know, per film almost to this day, is is because of the movie market in China. And I think it's one of those things where they're having to be cautious, if not overly cautious, as to how they portray Asian characters. So I think it was one of those things where they're going out of their way to avoid stereotypes. Um, so instead of fixing the stereotype, they're I, like, fuck it, we'll put a white person in there. He, Makes it easier. The director commented on that, either <coughs> on Twitter or something, and he, and he said he was like, it was like he, he was damned if he did, damned if he did. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and then also, I mean, there's a lot of times in later iterations of Doctor Strange in the comics, you know, the. I forgot the name of the, the the ancient land he goes to to learn the mystic arts. It'd be Tibet or Tibetan somewhat in origin. There's that, you know, really, you know, tense relationship between Tibet and China. So I think they just wanted to steer clear of any of that crap. I mean, that's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, you don't want to sink it by just putting Dalai Lama up there. Yeah, 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 or something like that. Which would have been the obvious casting choice. Yeah. I'm sure he'd love to be in the movie. <laughs> I mean, as, as long as they didn't put Hop Singh in there from uh, like Gone with the Wind and stuff that is. I, I don't know. There was an Asian person in Gone with the Wind. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I think that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, having said that about Tilda Swinton playing the ancient one, you do get, you know, Benedict Wong playing uh, Wong. <laughs> and that was another thing that they were getting flack about. You know, having this like I don't know, somewhat stereotypical. Not that it, not that Asian Butler is really a stereotype, but other parts of his background. Yeah, he's always Doctor Strange's manservant in the comics, and now he's more of his mentor. You know, oh, okay. So their dynamic is a yeah, little, it's, a little... it's 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 different. Well, was, well, even in the comic books, Wong might have been kind of like a servant, but the same in other ways, he was a master. Like he's the one who taught him how to fight. Wong taught. Later iterations, yeah, yeah. but I mean, kind of yeah. initially that was no. Initially, he was basically a slave. Yeah, yeah. Hot uh, Singh is the uh, overtly racist uh, helper to the Cartwright family in Bonanza. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah, I was. But... Gone with the Wind was the wrong. That's another completely racist uh, helper to the family. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I... <laughs> and who could forget Short Round? <laughs> yep. But, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say, I mean, about the whole Tilda Swin. Yeah, I mean... Good actress. Good, yeah, great actress. Um, you know, I loved her in Orlando, but, I, you know, if they had a casted some wizened Asian actor to play the Blue. ancient one, I don't... I mean, 
yeah, it would have been a stereotype, maybe not necessarily a, a negative or positive. I guess it all depends on how you look at it, but yeah. What's Charlie and Fatman doing? Nothing. I'm telling you, man, Gordon Liu and full on Pine May, that is a stereotype. Deadpool 2 lost its director. Lost its director, yeah. And the director is Tim Miller. Um, Creative differences. From what I read, Mm-hmm. Tim Miller wanted to make it a blockbuster movie. He also wanted um, a certain cast for Cable, Kyle Chandler. Yeah, he was the coach from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, not, was not in my opinion, not a bad pick, but you know, not a really well-known pick either. But maybe that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I I don't know. Apparently, yeah, the rumors that Ryan Reynolds didn't agree with Miller's choice. For the vision that Miller had for this sequel, it was basically going to require a significantly larger budget, and Reynolds didn't want to go in that direction. That he um, he wanted to keep the budget small, and you know, not really. I guess Miller wanted to make the movie into more of a, a typical kind of superhero blockbuster, and. And so, playing Devil's advocate for Miller, yeah, he definitely brought a lot of the stylized parts of this movie to life. it was He's the one who made it more than just a comedy. I mean, the way he, the way he directed it, the scenes that he chose, like at the very beginning and how they did the callback to the, the very beginning, like it's being told, right? Yeah. Um, that was all his idea. And, but Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. I mean, it's his pet project. And it always his... has been. And it's better to see Miller leave than anyone else because the, the comedy writers are the same yep. and Ryan Reynolds is in there. So if Miller's got to go, Miller's got to go. I don't want to see a blockbuster anyways. I want to see a comedy I want to see action. a fucking R-rated movie. Yeah. Just like our podcast. But at the same the time, there are aspects of the character of Deadpool mm-hmm. because, you know, you still got to understand this is part of Fox's whole effort to exploit and get as much out of the X-Men universe as they can as possible. And, I mean, while going the lower budget, simplified route isn't necessarily a bad thing, at some point, I imagine they're going to want to link this up in some manner to the rest of the X-Men movies. Which would would sink it as far as quality is concerned, but definitely increase the amount of individuals that would have access to it. And would also increase the amount of take that it would get at the box office. I mean, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. So, I mean, it's inevitability because the studio as large as Fox has to do something like that in a long enough time. Just do X-Force. Don't don't loop in the X-Men. That's what I want. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that. I Out of all this crap, that's really the only thing I'm kind of holding out for is just a decent X-Force movie. And an ecstatic show on AMC. So... Talking before we get into X properties who are moving to TV because there's something mm. I'm excited to talk about. Let's us first pivot to Logan, R-rated. Use Johnny Cash song to kind of set the mood and tone. About Nine Inch Nails song. Well, I mean, it's Johnny. Is, come on, guys. Yeah. It's it's Cash's version of Hurt. Okay? I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, Cash's version. I think will be. More fondly remembered. Yeah, than totally. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to find a songless version of that just so I can put 
um, a Nine Inch Nails version of Hurt over that trailer. <laughs> Man, <laughs> the Nine Inch Nails version of this song is just so dark and so, I mean, just... Well, both Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, it, it screams teenager in bedroom, cuttings, cutting oneself. And yeah, I, I think that's... Speaking of dark, what the, are we I'm just saying that's what the song's about. Talking about cutting oneself, what do you guys think of the trailer? I, oh just to give my two cents, I... Wolverine is Canadian, so he's very, very close to my heart as both a, a character in comic books and on the movies. I've never felt like he has been given, um, you know, his solo movies have never been great. Mm. Some of them have been good, most of them bad, one okay. But I... How many has he done? Three? In total? This is the movies? Well, no, but like that are focused on... Technically, the first two X-Men movies are very yeah. Wolverine-centric. Yeah. I mean, that second one... Future Days of Past? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's... The well, future that happened before? Anyways, R-rated. This is like an Old Man Logan kind of take. They showed X-23 in the trailer, which is pretty exciting. They showed Old Man Patrick Stewart, which... <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Pretty yeah, cool. That's redundant. <laughs> wow, older Patrick Stewart. I I'm excited, and I think I have every right to be. <laughs> you you do. <laughs> I'm always very cautiously optimistic about anything that Fox does, and I was the same way with Deadpool. You know, hey, let's see how it goes, and hey, it was really great. That's fantastic. Um, Wolverine Origins was a steaming pile of uh, bat shit. The, uh, Is that the one where... Um, that's the one where uh, Will I Am plays a oh, yeah, uh, yeah. teleporter or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I'm just very cautiously optimistic about everything that Fox does, really. I mean, you just... You never can tell what you're going to get. Occasionally you get like a first class, and you're like, well, well hell yeah. yeah. Uh, occasionally you get uh, the Wolverine, which was great for the first half, and then fell completely apart in the second half. Um, Is that the one with a million ninjas? <laughs> Yes, okay. and so it's it's pretty decent. You get the end, and it's like Silver Samurai is there. Yeah. He cuts his claws off, but now he's got him an Old Man Logan again. Like whatever, I just kind of a you never really can tell with Fox's stuff. Do we know where in the universe this does it take place? Like I don't because it's supposed to be in the future, but is this is this part of the Fox's X Men uh, universe? From what I've heard, that this. Story-wise, it takes place after the events of Days of Future Past. So whenever Wolverine goes back to the present, future, whatever that is, and everything's been restored in that movie, this takes place so many years after that. It was announced that Legion will be coming out that is going to take place in the current X-Men universe. Um, as we just complained about that we just so we'll see we'll about. see how it fits in <laughs> but it is with the dude from Fargo what's his name do you remember William H. Macy <laughs> the movie or the TV show Fargo the TV show it's an uh, FX show right which would explain yeah. why it's got an actor from Fargo uh, in it reminds me of uh, that Tad Bachman song no, that wasn't Tad Bogman. Who did She's that? So she likes high. me for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. that was uh, a yeah, Union of Souls. <laughs> yeah. What? That was Blessed Union. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, my God. When I found Leonardo out all those dudes were black, I was like, I, I can't handle that, 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 that song. It's like Leo or she something. She likes like that. me for me. She likes me for me. Yeah. yeah because oh. I look like Leonardo. Well, I was. Like the guy from Fargo. Okay, there we go. Yes. That's it. I think we can sing this song. Yeah. 
Blessed Union of Souls. Who put in a fight between Blessed Union of Souls and Collective Soul? Collective Soul. And Collective Souls are an extra dude. You guys are so hard to keep on task. Yeah, but it's great. That's what's great. That's what people come here for, I think man. it is. Yeah. I think it's what sets us apart. So anyways, Legion <laughs> is going to start Dan Stevens, Aubrey Plaza. Woo, I'm there. Me Corazon. Word. And Gene Smart. And they're going to star oh. in an FX take on the X-Men universe, Legion. Uh, we don't know much about the main character, main mutant Legion, other than it sounds... Like, he's the most powerful mutant, much like um, some comics that have shown Professor X's son uh, similar powers, but nothing has been confirmed that I've read. I am excited for an X-Men show. I don't know what to think, but I'm very happy it's on FX and not Fox. So yeah. I don't think you're gonna get an X Men show. I think you're. I think somebody said this is a really interesting premise that we can spin off into something, and and that's it. I think the tie into the film universe is probably less tangible and more of hey, you guys like those X Men movies, right? Well, here comes a TV show, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think yeah. as long as they're not trying to shove it in there, we might actually get a show that's worthwhile. I mean, you get in the Claremont era X-Men continuity. I mean, it's some pretty convoluted shit. And, and as much as I complained about X-Men continuity in the books or the films, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, you really do have to skirt around the stuff, certain things, in order to tell a better story. I mean, you know, Legion's whole origin is that he's the illegitimate child of Professor X and Moira McTaggart, which they kind of hint at their relationship in X-Men Apocalypse. But, I mean, if you have to bring all that into it, it, you know, I don't know if that's going to work. So, But as a premise in and of itself, you know, a mutant who suffers from uh, multiple personality disorder and each personality has its own unique ability... That's a damn interesting premise, whether you call it Legion or something else. Or United States of Terra. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's Blake and Amos. Only Blake and Amos. And we're going to talk about comic books. I feel like when it's only Blake and Amos, there should be a song for only Blake and Amos. I feel like, like my first thought was that it's like a more ragtimey Kenny G kind of thing. Wait a like, minute, ragtime Kenny G? I don't know. Like, what does that even I mean? was just thinking, what's the whitest thing possible? But then also make it... Okay, it's the Yakety Sax theme song. You know, the Benny Hill theme song. If it's just the two of Something like that. I was thinking maybe we just take every cartoon and put in lyrics about us each different time. <laughs> so it's Amos and Blake, Amos and Blake... One's vegetarian, the other's getting in shape. <laughs> so, I made you read Craven's Last Hunt. Yeah. And you made me read the first five of Miss Marvel that came out in 2014. So we have something old, something new. Nothing's bar. Well, I guess we're borrowing from Marvel Unlimited in we're, a sense. And we're borrowing time from the listener. Yeah, by so trying some, to come up with this. Something borrowed and something... Is it blue or... Yeah, it? blue is the last bit. Blue. I don't have a clue. I don't have anything blue. All right. We're well, good rhyming, though. We'll cut that out, too. <laughs> so, Craven's Last Hunt is 1987. Seven? Seven? 1987. Yeah. 
It was written by John Mark Dematius. 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 We have the pronunciation loaded up for anyone interested. Pronouncenames.com. It's coming, guys. Here it is. Dematius. That's accurate. Dematius. There he is. He's probably going to write us a letter if we have it wrong. Uh, John Mark Dematteis. Is he still alive? I think he is. Okay. The 80s only killed 13% of all comic book writers. Okay. So. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, it's a 30-year-old uh, book we read. That's, uh, I don't like to think of things that are that old that came out after... Well, wait, let me rephrase that. Are you older than this book? Yes. Okay. Me too. Just yeah. checking. Yeah. What are your first thoughts before we go into... My first thoughts on Craven's Last Hunt? Yeah. I don't like it. You didn't like it? No. And I, I read some articles about it. I, I didn't have a lot of context going into it. So, you know, I was reading some stuff about it uh, to get a sense of where it was. And, and you know, this story got a lot of praise. Uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, like top ten lists call it one of the best Spider-Man stories uh, ever written. But I just felt like it was... It's really kind of morose. It was overwrought. I feel like there's a lot of talk inside um, Peter Parker and Craven's heads, and the, it just wasn't interesting to me. It didn't feel dynamic or fresh or the, or the way people really talk. It just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed like this is what I don't like about old comics. Okay. This is very... Not not very G.I. Joe, but very like, I'm going to explain what I'm doing. There's definitely some of that. And I think that you, because it's an 80s comic, I think you have to be okay with comic talk. Yeah. Yeah, which I don't have the highest threshold for. So Especially when it's... With that. I like it when it's campy and, you know, 60s or previously stuff that's like, you know, reads as just silly to us now. I don't know. It, it felt like a chore to read. Really? For me. Yeah. And I know that that's, you know, that it's a well-received storyline, but I just had a hard time getting into it. That is like the exact opposite of me. Okay. <laughs> well, it's probably good that we're talking about it. So here's what I like about the story. Craven, the whole... T- so... All right. Quick synopsis. Craven kills Spider-Man, or we think Spider-Man's dead... He kills him with a shotgun, first of all, which is cool. I like the idea of a bad guy just rolling up on a superhero, shooting him with a shotgun, putting him in the ground, that's it. <laughs> I think that's neat. Uh, he, of course, doesn't really, but he becomes... He then becomes Spider-Man and defeats a baddie named Vermin and at that point says, Oh, I'm way better than Spider-Man. But in a Russian accent. Yeah. Well, I'm, very, I'm much better than the Spider-Mans. Um, there you go. <laughs> And it's obvious to the reader, but not obvious to Craven, that it is Spider-Man's um, humanity and his relationship with Mary Jane that makes him a hero, because he stops himself from beating the crap and like almost killing the baddies and does everything that he can to instead capture them and deliver them to... He is the law. Yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man is really Judge Dredd in another lifetime. Except he doesn't... He doesn't He's the opposite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Except not. 
But that's what I really like about it. And you mentioned that you didn't care for the inner monologue, but I think that that is really the only way that that point could be uh, addressed, the juxtaposition of Craven's Spider-Man and then Peter Parker. Right. Yeah, at first I was kind of into... uh, There were, I think in the first issue, you can see two... um, you know, not thought bubbles because they're, you know, it's just a bar of text, but it was almost like the characters, like their id and their super ego or something, mm-hmm. were arguing with each other. So you'll have, like, when Craven is eating all these spiders and he's, you know, part of him is saying, you know, you have nothing to fear. And then there's, there's another line that just says, run away. And I thought that was kind of cool. I like that. I, I thought it was weird that they were doing it for both Spider Man and Craven, though. Yeah, and that whole scene. Okay, there was one. There were one too many scenes of what seemed to be very common in '80s comics, where a character is going through an intense mental trauma or experience, and they draw it as this surreal yeah. scene. Sometimes I love that, but damn, it happened a lot. Back it then. did happen a lot back then, and it happened a lot in this run. You have Spider Man. In the ground, am I dead? Flashback to White, flashback to Uncle Ben. He, all of his thoughts kind of zooming. Flashback to Hawaii? I didn't say Hawaii, did I? I don't know what you said. Flashback I think I said to Ben. But, before that. All right. If I said Hawaii, didn't mean to. <laughs> uh, flashback to Hawaii yeah. when he was Hawaiian Spider-Man. I would read the hell out of that. Hawaiian Spider-Man? Yeah. Does he throw lays? I don't care what he does. I want to read it. Um, there's just lots of grass skirts. Yeah, lots of colors. Lots I like colors. I like colorful comics. It, I imagine Hawaiian Spider-Man to be Spider-Man in full Spider-Man costume, but then over Spider-Man costume, coconut bra, grass skirt, and a hat, and a hat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyways, yes. So too much of the dreams on paper. I think that the struggle of Craven becoming Spider-Man in his head was cool, but I agree that also having Spider-Man having similar dreams trying to crawl out of the grave was a tad much, but I still really liked it. I also really like the Vermin character. Okay, yeah, so he's a guy I just don't know. I had never seen this character before. Um, this is I feel like if there's anyone who's a big fan of older comics or who knows the uh, the chronology and the mythology of all these characters really well, like Sequoia does, they're going to listen to this and go, why the fuck am I listening to these guys? Yeah. Because we don't know this stuff. Well, anymore. Vermin was created by um, Zach and John Mark in a previous Spider-Man book. Okay. Uh, and he was... a Baron Zemo did some kind of whatever evil yeah. shit. <laughs> did some evil shit to on To Vermin, him. which created him and made him the way it is. And he was... Pretty much only used, from what I understand, in uh, books written by the authors of this book previously, and he was pretty much forgotten. Um, okay, because they, uh, you know, I read in an interview with Demetrius mm-hmm. that he originally he had an original villain, you know, his own creation for this story, and he didn't even like the he didn't like the character Craven, and didn't want you know had no intention of using him for this story. 
I wonder if he had planned for Vermin to have a more uh, central. I mean, he is already pretty central, but to have a bigger, an even bigger problem. role. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, in any case, I, I found that character really weird. Um, it's weird to me that, like, yeah, the, the the reason supposedly that Craven chooses Vermin as as the guy he's going to beat is because Spider-Man wasn't able to beat him alone. And I'm like, I mean, he doesn't seem all that powerful. He's a rat man who's easily confused and he eats, he seems to eat women. That was a little strange. I was like, can he eat one dude? But uh, I don't know, it just seemed to play into the whole, uh, but anyway. Um, He, Vernon at least let us know that the reason he wanted to eat women is because they were soft. Well, no, I, oh, he said that? Oh my God. Soft women. Ugh, I don't know. That was yeah, like gross. Mom. Yeah, there was like a. He was talking about like his mom in it, wasn't he? Oh, oh, there, there was the super weird scene where he attacks two cops. Uh, w- one of them is is female, and he like jumps onto her and is like something about her reminds him, I guess, of his mother, and he doesn't attack her, doesn't kill her. He's just really gross. Yeah, I have a lot of empathy for Vermin, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because he seems like he got, you know, he was genetically modified, and he lives in the sewer. He's a very sad... Yeah. He, he kind of reminds me of Smeagol a little bit. Right, he's not a villain in the sense of he has all these evil machinations. He's not a, you know, a Doctor Doom or, or, or a Sauron, I guess no, you would say. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely like a, a golem sort of... He's tortured... And he's very confused. Um, so he is a character you can empathize with. I, he just didn't seem that powerful. And I'm like, why? Spider-Man's taking down some pretty big dudes. Why can't he take this guy out? That's true. Because he scratches really hard? Yeah. He's just really strong. I guess I mean, so. Craven, in, he took a beating when he was fighting um, Vermin. Vermin. Yeah. So, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, how do you feel about the ending? Um, I didn't see uh, the suicide coming. Oh yeah, see, I couldn't remember because I read this about a week ago. Uh, you know, not again, not knowing that character very well. Like this is probably the first comic I've read that Craven features very much in. There have been other things I've read where he's sort of in the background somewhere. I know he was in the part of the Sinister Six, but. Uh, you know, it's not someone I'm that familiar with, so when he shoots himself, I'm like, well, that just happened. <laughs> uh, and I read, you know, I read a little further about where he shows up, you know, like everyone in comics, he, he gets brought back to life. Um, I don't know. He seems like kind of a lame character to me. I really like the idea of a master hunter. Uh, and, and the master hunter idea comes back in contemporary Spider-Man, I guess, like, Four or five years ago, mm-hmm. with um, the Spider Verse stuff, and uh, even Superior Spider Man, I think owes a lot to this string of comic books. So I think that this comic book opened the door to allow different tone for a Spider Man that we had not seen before. This it definitely is that it's definitely darker, and Peter Parker is more tortured, and he's he's angrier. You know when he sort of comes to 
and and has that. I, f- I feel like the whole series was written for that image of him, of his hand, kind of bursting out of the ground well, in front of his uh, grave. Um, so, yeah, he's a very different character, which is kind of interesting. But he's. I feel like what I have always liked about Spider-Man is that he just doesn't give a shit, and he's always cracking jokes, uh, and he's like... he's That sounds of, more like Deadpool than Spider-Man. Well, but he's... I mean, I think they're... I'm not going to say they're exactly similar. Like, Deadpool, to me, is that taken to an extreme. Like, I, I, he, he isn't even uh, experiencing the world the way anyone else does, so I get kind of bored of him. But Spider-Man is there, and he cares... But things roll off him easily, and he, you know, he is quick with a joke, and I, I like that compared to how morose and self-serious a lot of these characters are. Um, so to see him, you know, it's very different for him, but it's also kind of more of the same when it comes to other comic book characters, like especially for the '80s. He, it was like turning Peter Parker a little bit into Batman. Yeah, but I mean, not in even, a way I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even um, Jam, De, whatever. Dematias. Even Dematias. Uh, even John Mark here said that he kind of wanted this story to be a Batman story. Yeah. Um, it definitely has that kind of feel to me. I like the idea of Peter Parker cracking jokes and being a wise guy and making. Um, light of situations as kind of a front for the conflicting emotions that he has about um, how to treat these difficult situations. And I think taking that, that's what I took away from this book that I really liked was that he made like when he was in the sewer, I think it was the second to last comic in this uh, run He's, he's beaten down, he's broken, and he's still making jokes and puns when he's getting attacked. And then he says, oh, why did I say this? I want to be at home. I want to be with my wife. Why, why am I going out of my way to do this? Mm-hmm. I really like that. It, to me, it made Peter Parker more human, which is funny because Peter Parker's supposed to be and was written as the every boy, the every man. Right. Um, but I, that's what I took away from it that I really liked. I really liked the suicide at the end because it, it was finite. Because who doesn't love a good suicide? Well, because Craven thought that he had finally beaten Spider-Man, even though the reader knows that uh, the true hero is the one who makes the difficult decisions, not the one who completes the task necessarily. And Craven didn't get that. Yeah. And he also, obviously there was a Russia versus America kind of slight undertone to this comic where Craven saw Spider-Man as America and he he hated America and he was he by beating Spider-Man it was like one plus one for Russia. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think about that angle especially in, you know, the late 80s. Yeah, that still being a pretty heavy thing although maybe not as much as it is now. Yes, but uh, in the last few weeks, um, those are good points. Uh, like I, I don't, it's okay. It's not that I think it's bad. It's not like Civil War. Yeah. Um, it's that it, it does something well, but it's something I've read a lot of, and something I'm not that interested in reading more of. The super dark, self serious 
comic book hero stories. I just like... Uh, sometimes I love that. I mean, the Frank Miller 80s Batman stuff I'm really into. Yep. Um, I just think that had a certain grittier or, or like it was more comfortable with being gritty maybe that's not your spider-man yeah i don't i don't know i just i just think the writing was a little uh maybe a little too tepid for for what it was trying to get across um but you know i don't know there's it's pretty broad generalization i mean i still think it's a it's worth a read what did you think about the art um I don't. I don't really feel like a lot of it really jumped out at me too much. Uh, I feel like it definitely matched the tone of the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's not a lot of color. Um, I mean, you know, it's not like the whole thing's black and white, but uh, there's no there's no popping. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a pretty somber. There's a lot of so, as far as visually, there's a good amount of subtlety. There's also a lot of batshit crazy stuff, but most of it's at night. Yeah. Most of it is inside, at night, in a sewer. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff in a sewer. So there's a lot of, a lot of shadow, and um, the portrayal of uh, 80s women, I really like that. I love the cost, like the, the outfits of everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's lots of Other very than Craven's, looking clothes, yeah. And Craven's um, lion vest is so <laughs> awesome. If I could, if I cared enough slash was able to pull off Craven as uh, Halloween Craven, oh my God, Halloween Craven, <laughs> but it, for me it would be like overweight, like giving up Craven. <laughs> Instead of shooting himself, he just stopped going like, to the gym. I beat him, and then I, you know, I gave him a few pounds. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Here I am. I have spare. I can still fit into Lionhead. We're slowly turning into like uh, some guy from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? He was he. I think he moved to New Jersey after. Oh, there you go. Hates hates America, but New Jersey. Eh. He's okay with it. Yeah, New Jersey, Russia of America. <laughs> All right, I would. Uh, I'd give this. I do not think it's the best Spider-Man um, run. I do really like it and I think that it obviously has influenced some of my more favorite Spider-Man books I would give personally for me this is a this is a this is a B this is a B plus okay yeah I I could definitely suggest it to someone who let's say really likes uh the dark knight stuff uh and and wants to see a different take on spider-man and i'm saying this as someone who hasn't really read enough spider-man especially from that period to to be all that confident in recommending it um if you like that style you'll probably enjoy it it's it's not necessarily for me but I still think it's a story that holds up better than a lot of the comics from that era. Um, it's still very, very readable. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I would give it a B. I guess. Now let's talk about something completely different, which is the Miss Marvel run from 2014. Yay! That's correct. 
Okay. It's the all new Marvel now, not the all new, all different <laughs> that happened after Secret Wars. Yeah. It's not confusing at all. Yeah. So this was created by G. Willow Wilson. Is that the only person? Who well, else? That's the writer. Then we have Adrian Alfona and a and Matt Herring. Is that his first name? I don't I know. Know. It's I definitely Herring. So we read the first five. Yep. First arc. First arc. How would you describe this to someone who is a comic book reader? So this is the story of Kamala Khan, who is a Muslim-American uh, teenager living in Jersey City. Uh, she is the daughter of Pakistani immigrants. Uh, she has been changed as part of the, um, what they call it, the inhumanity event where the Terrigen bomb went off and Terrigen Mist is yeah. changed here, which I want to talk I want to talk about a little bit more, but finish here. Okay, so you know she's a she's a pretty ordinary teenage girl who is obsessed with superheroes, uh, specifically the Avengers, and then the Terrigen Mist happens and she gains shape shifting powers. And she sort of becomes the new Miss Marvel. Um, and you know this this title got a lot of press when it came out because it's Marvel's first uh, Muslim character um, you know, headlining their own comic. Uh, it's written by G. Willow Wilson, who is Muslim herself. Uh, it's kind of in the same way that um, Craven's Last Hunt is like what I'm not crazy about in comics. This story is like what I'm, what I'm super into. It's, it's got a very realistic... Uh, fresh-seeming uh, interaction with characters and dialogue. Uh, it's it's a very colorful, humorous, mostly lighthearted story. But I think she does such a good job of conveying the angst of being a young person, also being the child of immigrant parents, uh, having a cultural legacy that, as someone born here, she might not be totally familiar or comfortable with in the way that her parents are. They have expectations for her that her friends' parents don't have. Uh, all that stuff is conveyed really well. She's you know, spends time around these sort of stereotypical, you know, cookie-cutter jock characters, you know, who are tall, blonde, and white. And uh, it's not that she wants to be them, but she wants to be accepted by them. And they say, they say things often that seem realistic in the sense that it's not that they are trying to be derogatory or, or put down her her background as they see it or anything. They just don't understand and can't identify. Yeah, and that, so they make her feel very awkward, and her processing of that makes for a compelling story outside of all the superior stuff. Uh, you know, knowing what the Terrigen Mist is would help. Because otherwise, you might wonder, you know, what is this weird fog rolling through, and why does she now have power? So that's a good point, and I kind of want to talk about the Terrigen Mist right now, if you're cool with that. Yeah. So, the Terrigen Mist usually puts people in cocoons, <laughs> and they either live or die. And if they live, they come out being inhuman, and they figure out they have powers. But that didn't happen in this Marvel. Was she uh, in a cocoon? Well, you see, you only see it from her perspective, so I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't remember. (laughs) 
I like that um, she comes, her power at first when she comes out of the cocoon is that she's white and blonde. Yeah. <laughs> what is that about? She has become like the last version of Miss Marvel. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it's a, are we, okay. Yeah, I don't know if that's a weird, like her own subconscious saying, you know, I want to be like the rest of them or what. Or and I want to be like Captain Marvel. I also don't understand her powers. I know she doesn't understand her powers in the first arc, so we are not supposed to understand it. But uh, she says in biggin and dis in biggin <laughs> a lot, which is pretty funny. And it'll make her really big or really small. I, I think that that is just a way of showing her being uncomfortable and, and new to her powers. I don't think it's like literally she has to say it. it's not yeah, a no, I agree. Okay. <laughs> she's I don't think that like spells. she's not casting spells. She can make her <laughs> hands big. She uh, when she's training, she makes her legs long so that she can run faster, but she can also just straight up shape shift like mystique. Yeah. Um and she can't heal when she's in what the when she is shape-shifting. So when she's shape-shifting, she can't heal herself. I, I got the sense that she can basically change her physical body to do most anything. Uh, so she kind of has maybe the combined powers of, say, a Mystique and, uh, and Reed Richards. Um, but it seems like using those powers takes a big toll on her, which is something we've seen with other characters before. There's a scene where after she has changed into, she typically she changes into, you know, the the previous version of Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers, in her black suit. But uh, there's a scene where she transforms back and she's really hungry and she's exhausted and she feels like she hasn't slept in days, even though it's you know just been hours. So you get a sense that at least for now, when she's so new to these powers. It's very hard on her to do these things. I think that her being a super awkward character and having really awkward powers is a totally right. good mix. Because if her power was like really badass and she was awkward, it wouldn't be it wouldn't match. But she's got like big hands. Yeah, it's just a metaphor for and, for puberty, you know. I mean, yeah, she's just becoming really, a, an adult, and it's weird. Just kind of like a, a recap, the things that are fantastic about this book is that even if she wasn't a superhero, it would be an interesting book to read. Yeah. Because of what she's dealing with and how she is American, but how her white peers don't see her as American. That already is a really fun plot point and interesting to read. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's easy to empathize with, you know, the underdog. It is kind of the under, underdog situation. It's in the city. A boy has a crush on her that she's um, that she totally doesn't even register as a as a dating prospect. He's got all the right plot points to be interesting, and then Terrence missed, and she's flexible and weird and can it's turn. Arch, it's Archie. If Archie was a Muslim girl who has superpowers, it's good. Yeah, yeah, and also the art is fantastic. Art is it pops. Lots of reds. Lots of blues <laughs> lots of other colors but it looks I, I don't know this for certain it looks like watercolor to me it looks like these are painted in watercolor it's very kind of a loose feel it's it's very different than you know the, the sort of typical Marvel and DC look it's all new it is all new it's not all different yet but uh, it is very different this arc isn't really about you know 
superhero stuff per se. It's just about this character and setting up a very strong origin story. Yeah, totally. And yeah. as origin stories go, it's one of the best ones I've read. Yeah, and it's very similar to a lot of. I mean, it's got the skeletons of a pretty regular origin story, but you add the the cultural elements to it. Um, with the awkwardness of being a teenager, and it, it makes it much more refreshing because if you think about it, it's very close to a Peter Parker. Right, I was about to say. It's not new, but it's just refreshing. <laughs> it's not new, but it's different. Therefore, all new, not all different, Marvel Now. Um, what? Next year, all new, slightly different, yeah. mostly refreshing. <laughs> what are they going to do? Is this a Pepsi commercial? Is this, is this for a soft drink or a comic book? Marvel drink Coke. This is a uh, this is a B plus book for me, and the reason I say B plus is because, and I mentioned this earlier, does not bring any baggage with it, so it's it's brand new to the reader, and I think that that is a ding against it because it has like a clean palette okay (laughs) that's why i'm going there if this was if someone was able to make this strong of a book out of a character that already existed it would be a plus material if that Uh makes any sense no i think i understand uh to me i'm trying to think of what what is like a guaranteed a plus for me uh i have stuff that i love like hellboy seeds of destruction is probably it's maybe my favorite uh, that's something I would call an A plus, but I'm trying to think as far as like from a craft perspective, a story perspective, art perspective, I don't know. I don't know. To me, this is an A. This is like exactly what I look for in the best of the big two. I feel like y- younger people, I love saying younger people. Those young people love this book. Right. <laughs> um, this is one of those stories that I think would appeal to someone who is currently a teenager a lot. This book is not being written to for the older audience that have been reading comic books for a while. Not necessarily. I mean, they, and anyone I, could enjoy it. I can. I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee you that digital sales are higher on this book than they are on, say, Spider-Man or Batman. Because I think that this is targeted to younger individuals, even though I don't think that I think that anyone would enjoy because it it's a good comic. But like I know for a fact, Squirrel Girl it sells more on mobile devices than it does physical print because the people who are reading it are younger, and I think this is the same demographic for this book. Yeah, and it's a great book. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's a good story, and it's it's really fresh, and the humor in it is not comic book humor. Right. It's um, Degrassi high humor more than anything. <laughs> so two B plus books from different decades. I'm still I'm sticking with A. A. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I think we'd average it, but one one better than the other. We'll let you guys decide. You should probably give it a read. Uh, so until next time, we're us, <laughs> and we're in a small room, and you're you. Yeah. This has been a difficult, mosaic approach to our podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to more, there's more to be listened to <laughs> coming your way. Also, you can catch us out on Twitter, uh, at The Comic Trope, on Facebook as well, Instagram that we don't post anything to. 
Um, hashtag Smiling Dave at Count Paper. You can catch me at Canadian Blaken. But before we go, I had asked randomly a comic book character and a country, country. of origin. Of origin. So now I would like to present to you Russian Storm. You want me to basically say something about the weather in a Russian accent? <laughs> you can even use the line from the original X Men movie. Do you know what happens to Toad in a thunderstorm? Yes. Uh, same thing happens everything else. Is no surprise. Soviet Russia, the same shit happens as everywhere else. In Soviet Russia, you do anyway. not get struck by lightning. Lightning gets struck by you. So <laughs> in in Russia, we strike lightning. So the other one was what? Argentina and who? Punisher. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I have to consider an Argentinian accent. Uh, well, it's, it's, you know, let's just assume American. that they talk like this. No, see, that sounds more Spanish. But that's how they talk, to be perfectly honest yeah. with you. See, I don't really know, like, versus... Yeah, like, throw more of a lisp in it. That's what I was trying to do, but I don't know if that's... I do not know if that's accurate. <laughs> it yeah. really just sounds... It, it sounds he, offensive... To a culture that doesn't exist. It just sounds like you should be offended. I'm very angry at you, so I will shoot you. Yeah, I'm like... I'm I will like, shoot you with all these he, guns that I have. My wife, we died. I shoot you with these guns. Yeah, it sounds... It's like, is he trying to be Pepe Le Pew with a lisp? I don't know what's going on. That was bad. Anyways, um, Punisher. We had some problems these past few weeks, and that's why there's been a lull in podcasts. Hurricane Matthew came through here, and I didn't have internet... For like four weeks, y'all. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Four weeks of no internet, a few days of no uh, energy. Wait, no energy? Like you were lethargic or no power? Like you didn't have current coming to your home? I was hoping that no one noticed that, but I was just being (laughs) lazy and I happened to have no power. (laughs) Anyways, guys, uh, the comic trope from us to you, Mikasa Sukasa. Hope you listen to us again. In future episodes, there will be better sound because we bought some more equipment. So that's going to be cool. Until then. Bye-bye.